0: go ahead and turn to Jeremiah chapter 31, which is where we're going to be, and Carde will read for us verse 31 through the end of the
1: chapter. Good Good morning. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for the light by day, and fixed the order of the moon and the stars for the light by night, who stares up the sea so so that its waves roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs from before me, declares the Lord, then shall the offspring of Israel cease from being a nation before me. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured and the foundations of the earth below can be explored, then I will cast off all the offspring of Israel. For all that they have done, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when the city shall be rebuilt for the Lord from the tower of Hananel to the corner gate, and the measuring line shall go out further straight to the hill of Gerb, and shall then turn to Goer. The whole valley of the dead bodies and the ashes, and all the fields as far as the brook Kidron, to the corner of the horse gate, toward the east, shall be sacred to the Lord. It shall not be plucked up or overthrown anymore forever.
0: See if you can guess at what I'm reading here. I blank take you blank to be my blank. Courtroom. Courtroom. (laughs) Any other guesses? (laughs) It's kind of a given. To be my wife, to be my husband. To have and to hold from this day forward. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health. To love and to cherish until we are parted by death that is called a marriage covenant those are traditional vows that are recited by both husband and wife in a marriage covenant a marriage covenant is a two-way stipulation sort of covenant in which both parties make the exact same commitment to one another which means that a marriage covenant can be broken if one party fails to uphold what they have promised to do. A marriage covenant then, sadly, but let's be honest, it's breakable, right? That's why marriages are often uh, fragile. That's why we must focus on people who are married because they're in a very breakable kind of relationship. Now what if a married... A couple were standing in front of a a, a, a congregation at a wedding, or a couple getting married, and let's just say the husband, just for the sake of analogy, were to say this in his vows, and, and she were to say absolutely nothing at all. What if he were to say, I, so and so, take you blank, to be my wife, to have and to hold even when you drop me, to love and to cherish even when you do not love? To be faithful to you alone, even when you are unfaithful. My faithfulness will be counted as your faithfulness. And this relationship is not founded upon your ability to be faithful to me, or upon your fidelity, but upon my forgiveness of all your failings. And that's that. Well, that's not a marriage covenant. And I wouldn't recommend that. But that is a little picture of a kind of covenant that we do have. I want to talk to you this morning on this theme, a better covenant. A better covenant. And before I get into it, let's go to God and ask for His help. Father, we do ask that You would come this morning in such a way that reveals to us the truthfulness of the Gospel. Let us experience Jesus in our midst today as we come into this Word. I pray that anything that I might say that is unhelpful will be forgotten, and that I will only say words that commend the Gospel, that faithfully expose the truth that is in Your Word. It's in Jesus' name we pray, Amen. Are you confident in God's love? Like Israel, we are exiles. Like Israel, we are slaves as human beings in our flesh. We are slaves, as the Bible calls it, to sin. Our hopes and our dreams of a peaceable life have been dashed. And outside of a one-way act of God's love, we are hopeless. We don't need an assistant. We need a Savior. The old covenant here in Jeremiah had been broken. God had made a covenant with His people on Mount Sinai. With a man named Moses. And this was sort of the original marriage, if you would. Now this covenant, known as the Old Covenant with Moses, had clear stipulations. For the people, they are to obey God. For the people, they are to recognize God as Yahweh and keep Him as God alone. It was written on stone on the Ten Commandments. Or as the Ten Commandments. And God... As the people are obey, God would do His part. God would bring the people into the promised land. Now, immediately after the covenant is made with Moses, what happens? Those, those of you who were here for our Exodus series a long time ago might remember. Immediately after the covenant was made with Moses, the people rebel. They turn against God. They disobey God. But thankfully, God... Gave them a mediator in Moses, and Moses was able to mediate with them between the people and God and bring them back to a relationship with God, and God renewed His love with His rebellious bride. Now, though, as we get into Jeremiah, what we see is that the people have rebelled again and again and again and again, and they have hearts that are cold, and they don't care to turn back. And now in Jeremiah, what we see is there is no Moses. There is no mediator. Jeremiah doesn't fulfill the same kind of role that Moses had. Jeremiah isn't mediating between the people and God. Jeremiah is just simply announcing the fact that judgment is coming and divorce is imminent. But as we are seeing here in these chapters of Jeremiah, not all is bleak, is it? God is about to renew his love, there's a new covenant that is coming. A new covenant that God is going to make with His people. And this covenant is better. Everybody say, better. better. This new covenant is better than the old covenant that God made with Moses on Mount Sinai. How is it better? Do you guys remember this song if you grew up in church like I did? you remember this song, Deep and Wide? Yeah. Did anybody sing that song? Hmm, and hmm. I don't really know what the hmm was about. But we did it. Some of you didn't grow up in church. You're looking at me like, what in the world are you talking about? And that's okay. But it is a song about God's love. Teaching children that God's love, the fountain of His love, is deep and it's wide. How is the new covenant better than the old covenant? Well, let me use that song for you. It's deep and it's wide. Or we could say it's deeper and it's wider. Let me show, show it to you here in Jeremiah 32 or 31. As Jeremiah prophesies that this new covenant is about to be made between God and Israel. First, he says, it's wider. It's wider. We see here in the text a God who's willing to do whatever it takes to save his people. You might remember a couple years ago a man named Lazaro who was in our church. He was from the Dominican Republic and he was here uh, with his nine-year-old who had cancer. Living in the Dominican, they didn't have the hospital and the care there that they needed in order to take care of the cancer that she had in her body. And so Lazaro and his entire family moved from the Dominican to Baltimore and then to Boston for nine months. They uh, took a, a a leave of absence from both their business as well as his ministry. As a result of being away Lazaro and his wife were not able to be at the the deathbed of his mother-in-law. They had to figure out schooling for their children. They spent five hundred thousand dollars of cash in order to find the kind of care that they needed to get the cancer taken care of in their daughter's body. Why? Why? Well, a father and a mother, they're going to do everything that they can possibly do to save their child. 500 grand is nothing. If you can come up with it, it's nothing. When we're talking about your child. Well, what we see here in this text is that God is willing to go to extreme lengths, Whatever the cost in order to save his people. Let me show, the, show you how it's wider. First, the outlook of the new covenant sees far beyond exile. Remember, in the old covenant, judgment was sort of part of it. It was kind of wrapped up into it. It was part of the covenant, if you rebel. There's judgment. Well, in the new covenant, there is no threat of judgment. Not like that. It sees beyond exile. So we see here in the text, in verse 31, he says, the days are coming. Well, what days? Then in verse 33, he says, after these days. After what days? After the days of exile. When the people are done with the judgment, after the days of exile, God, in that time frame, is going to make a new covenant with the people. In verses 38 and 39, we see that the city is going to be rebuilt. It's going to be bigger and better than it ever was before. In verse 40, he says that the valley is going to be consecrated to God. Now what is that valley that he's talking about there? If you remember uh, some chapters back in Jeremiah, there was this valley where they had been sacrificing babies to the gods of Melech. And this valley became the valley where the bodies of the judged were going to be thrown. They were going to die in this valley. This valley then represented the judgment of God. It represented the very fact that God's wrath had come. And what he's saying is, is as the city is going to be rebuilt, during the days of this new covenant, there is going to be no valley. The valley is going to be consecrated to me. Which means that within the people who are this New Covenant people, there is going to be no wrath. There is no judgment within this New Covenant community. Secondly, the application of the New Covenant is going to be not just for Israel, but it's going to be for all people. It's going to be a global sort of family. First... We see in verse 31 that it is, in fact, going to be for Israel. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Why does he mention both Israel and Judah? Well, it's because the kingdom was divided, wasn't it? And so what he's saying is, I'm going to make a covenant, and this covenant is going to unify the divided kingdom. There's going to be a day in which all tribes come together as One, as one people under God. However, let me ask you a question. Is the new covenant then just for Israel? What about the Gentiles? How many of you are a Gentile? Well, most of us are going to raise our hands. We are not part of ethnic Israel. We are Gentiles. What then is the hope for Gentiles? Does the New Covenant include Gentiles? Well, Paul, the Apostle Paul, that is, not Paul Newson, Paul, the Apostle, considered himself a missionary to the Gentiles, and Paul, in 2 Corinthians 3, 6, calls himself a minister of the New Covenant. Which means that Paul believed that his work, as he's taking the gospel to the nations outside of the the nation state of Israel, he believed that his work was a new covenant kind of work. That he was proclaiming the gospel that brings those who were far off into the family of God. And this completely makes sense as we read Romans 9-6. In which Paul says, not all of ethnic Israel was true Israel. There has always been true Israel within ethnic Israel, but not all of ethnic Israel is true Israel. What we see happening in the days of the new covenant is that true Israel becomes global. It's God's plan from the beginning, which means taking the gospel to the Gentiles was not plan B in God's redemptive purposes. But rather, God had always envisioned being a blessing to all people, the nations. God always envisioned that this new covenant people, that His people would be a multicultural, a multi-ethnic kind of community. Thirdly, this new covenant is better than the old covenant in its effectiveness. And what I mean by that is, it is unbreakable. The old covenant, more like a marriage covenant today, is what we would call a breakable kind of covenant. There were clear stipulations for both parties, there were blessings, and a curse is attached to it, and His people could actually break it. The new covenant that God is giving here, or prophesying through Jeremiah in Jeremiah 31, is a covenant that is unbreakable look at verse 32 in the text he says this is not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt my covenant that they broke it's not like the covenant that they broke well we can just pause right there and we can say in what in what way one way it's not like the covenant that they broke is that this covenant that He's making with them is unbreakable. In in the Old Covenant, God was faithful. Israel was not faithful. Within the Old Covenant, it's not that God had failed, but Israel had failed. God wasn't defective in the Old Covenant, and the Covenant itself wasn't defective in the sense that it was wrong. The problem was that Israel Was defective. What's needed for the salvation of God's people is a better covenant, a covenant that is going to be unbreakable. God says that in the days of this new covenant, it's going to be unbreakable. That's what we see in these uh, verses 35 through 38. He gives these really interesting sort of parallel uh, analogies, and he's basically saying, Look, as long as there is a fixed order to creation, as long as the sun rises and sets, as long as we see winters and summers and falls and springs, as long as life kind of goes on, as long as the world continues to tick, as long as that happens, I'm going to continue to love my people which means this is everlasting. This is unbreakable. In verse 37, he he says, "If, if the heavens can be measured, like if scientists can kind of figure out exactly how big the universe is and they can give you a number, well then, that'll be the day that I stop loving my people. And what he's saying is it's never going to come. And by the way, you know, we're in the year 2018, thousands and thousands of years later and we have made complete completely amazing strides in science, and we still don't know how big the universe is, which means God's love is never going to end for his people. Why is it? It's because he's giving them here a covenant that is unbreakable. So it's wider, all right? It's also deeper. Now this, this shows us how it's unbreakable. It's deeper, which means it goes deeper into the being of the individual. It's, 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 it's much more transformative than the Old Covenant. And maybe an, an, an analogy will help explain this text. This is probably a terrible analogy, but most of my analogies are terrible, so you're used to them. In the 1980s, one of my favorite films was RoboCop. RoboCop fans? Yes. We should do a RoboCop. They have a new one out. Haven't seen it? I don't really care to because the 1980s version was great. <laughs> All right? You don't need to fix what's not broken. But RoboCop was broken. And that's the whole point of the story. And they fixed him. So dude, a police officer in Detroit, he gets shot up. And uh, they, they, they take uh, his body. And, and Alex Murphy is, is pretty much dead. But they're able to kind of like preserve his mind. And so they start rebuilding his entire body and they they give him robotic limbs and arms and they completely rebuild his body and send him out and and he becomes this superhero of sorts. There's some twists in it, like he has some real weird mental issues for a while and it takes him a while to kind of like gain his full humanity back, if you would. Uh, But what I like about RoboCop, and actually almost all superhero movies are like this, There's this moment in which the superhero, as, as a human, he hits the all time low in his life. Like he was dead. He was completely strung out, he was he was bleeding all it was very violent. And at his lowest moment he was rebuilt into something more powerful, stronger, and better than he ever was. Now, this covenant comes at this low point of humanity. And God is essentially saying, I'm bringing this new covenant and it's going to be a complete rebuild. First, it is internal, not just external. It's internal, not external. Meaning the Old Covenant was external. God gave them a law. He wrote it on stone. He said, this is what I need you to do. These are the stipulations. But how can a leopard change his spots? How can a sinner change his heart? What good is stone if I've got a heart of sin? In this New Covenant, God is going to do something in which He takes what was written on stone and He writes it on the hearts of the members of this new covenant family. It's internal, not external. Look at verse 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put My law within them and I will write it on their Hearts. What does that mean? Well, one theologian calls this internalized obedience. Which means that God will give His people within this covenant family the ability, but not just the ability, the desire to obey Him. He will give to them what they never had. Now, some may have had it. Some, of course, were regenerate in the old covenant and had the the law written on their heart in this way. That is true. What's different, though, about this new covenant is that every single member of the covenant family will enjoy the blessings of a new heart and will have the law written on their heart and will have internalized obedience to God. Now, since that's true, the next line is true. He goes on to say, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Well, that follows. If his people have a new heart and internalized obedience, then what is true is that they will enjoy the blessings of God's presence. In the old covenant, the blessing of God's presence was experienced by some. But now, intrinsic to the covenant, for every single member of the covenant family, they will experience the very presence of God. It's internal, not external. Secondly, it creates a pure community, not a mixed community. Some, Some might say, well, unbelievers can be part of the local church. And that's true in a sense, meaning a church can sort of, I don't know, make a mistake if you would about someone's profession of faith, or someone can fall away within a local church. There's a sense in which unbelievers are around or in the local church, yet that is not the design of God within this new covenant family. So, for instance, in 1 John chapter 2, we see this issue of unbelievers who are falling away from the local church and they're leaving. And what John says is that these who are leaving, he says they were never of us. For if they were of us, they would remain. What he's saying is is they were never really part of the new covenant family. Um, I mean, we thought they were. You know, I'm not saying that they weren't of us in the sense that we thought they were part of the New Covenant family, but he's saying that they were never really part of the New Covenant family. They were really never part of us is what he's saying. Which means what we see here in this text that that this Covenant family is going to be a pure family in which every single member of the New Covenant community is going to have a new heart. So there is nobody who is in the New Covenant family that doesn't have a regenerated heart. This is why he goes on and he says, in those days no longer will uh, uh, each one teach his neighbor, saying, know the Lord. Well, he's not saying that there's not going to be any teaching at all. And we can kind of go through the Scriptures and explain that and see that very clearly. What he's saying is, is the kind of teaching in which you would come to an unbeliever and say, know the Lord, He's saying that doesn't happen in the New Covenant family because everybody knows the Lord. Does that make sense? Meaning you, as part of being in this covenant, you know the Lord. You are, theological word for you, you're regenerate. You're made new. The law has been written on your heart. This is a community then that is pure. Now, unlike RoboCop, I told you it was a bad analogy. Unlike RoboCop, it's internal, not external. (laughs) It's not just a matter of getting some new limbs. RoboCop, actually, the only thing he kept was the internal mind. For us, our, our limbs, at least on this side of eternity, remain the same. What changes is our mind. What changes is our heart. It's a complete transformation from the inside where RoboCop had some mental issues and wasn't thinking straight when he was out on the streets. For us, it's a complete reverse. We see things clearly now for the first time. The the, the scales have fallen from our eyelids and we see Christ when we are at an all-time low. God comes in and He rebuilds us. Let me give you five quick applications as it relates to the church. Number one, the church is the global people of the new covenant the church is the global people of the new covenant which means when we see this prophecy and he's saying this day's coming i to what we're seeing for the last 2000 years is the fulfillment of that prophecy and the church has gone across uh, the 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 globe jeremiah 3131 is is uh, is fulfilled as we see all nations are praising God, bless, blessing God for the good things that He has done for them. What we see is that the church is the global people of the New Covenant. Number two, the local church is to be made up of regenerate, born-again people. Which means it's a pure community, not a mixed community. It's God's design that the local church reflects the church. The true church. It's God's design that the local church would reflect the new covenant family of God. And so what that means is, is simply how do you join a local church? Well, are you part of the new covenant family of God? Have you been reborn? Like I don't care so much about the fact that you believe three or four things about the Bible or about Jesus. I don't care about the fact that you come to church every Sunday. Have you ever been reborn? Have you ever been transformed from the inside out? Have you, have you been regenerated? Have you, the new, have you the law written on your heart? The local church is to be made up of regenerate people, which means that the qualification to join a church is that you are saved. You're a believer. You're, you're part of the family of God. Thirdly, the local church then should baptize only regenerate people. And you say, what does this text have to do with baptism? Well, we're Baptists, so we make everything about baptism, right? Right? <laughs> No, but this is, this is an important point to make, though. This is helpful. If we are not born physically into this new covenant family, but rather we are reborn into the new covenant family, well, then it only makes sense that the sign of the covenant is put on you at your rebirth instead of your birth. Does that make sense? So in the Old Covenant, of course, they put the sign of the covenant, a.k.a. circumcision, on the infant at their birth because they were born into the family. But in the New Covenant family, how do we become part of the New Covenant family? Well, he says we give, we're given a new heart. That's called regeneration. That's called salvation. That's becoming a Christian. That's called rebirth. And so at what point then do we put the sign of the covenant, a.k.a. baptism, on the, the, the New Covenant members. Well, it's at their rebirth. It's after their conversion. So then a church shouldn't baptize unbelievers, whether they're 90 or nine months old. But we are to place the sign of the covenant on the new covenant members. Number four, a mixed community, therefore, is not intended. A mixed community is not intended. And as it's revealed within the local church that that there are uh, unbelievers in the midst, there is actually a way that the church is supposed to remove them from the midst because a mixed community is not intended. Number five, finally, there's a great future that awaits the church. If this is a covenant that isn't going anywhere, if this is a covenant that isn't broken, well then the church and the new covenant family has a great hope, a great future that awaits for them in Jesus Christ. Now, I wonder if there's someone here that would say, all of this sounds really good for somebody else. Like, this sounds really good, this idea of a new covenant, but not for me. I'm too broken for that. God could never love me in that way. Like, you might, with your lips, acknowledge the fact that God is a God of grace, and that He saved you by grace through faith. Yet, in all reality, the way that you think of your spiritual life is that of guilt. Endless guilt. And if you're really honest with yourself, your default is, God can't really love me in this way. This is too good. This is too much. This is better than I deserve. Well, I want you to see the foundation of this new covenant. Because, by the way, it is good, isn't it? Somebody thinks it is. Is it good? It's a good covenant. How do we become part of it? How could someone like me, a broken sinner... Someone who's fallen over and over, just spirals of sin. You know what I'm talking about. How can someone like us be part of this kind of covenant family and have this kind of blessing on our life? Well, look at the foundation for the covenant. Look at verse 34. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor... And his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord. Four. Everybody see that? Four. Four. Do you see it? Four is a foundational kind of word in the Bible. Means meaning everything that I'm going to say after the four gives you the foundation for all of the preceding statements. So all the good things about this new covenant are built upon the foundation of what comes after the four. You tracking with me? What does he say? He says, For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. There was a widow of five children. And her children were getting older, growing up. And his, her oldest had an issue with her. He didn't know why. He just had an issue with his mother. And he argued with her constantly. And he didn't follow the rules that she set down for the house. And at, some, at one point she said to him, she said, look, if you're not going to follow my rules you need to leave. You need to go. He walks upstairs. He packs his bags. And he walks out the door. And for a season, things seem to go well. He moves to another town. He gets a decent job making some good money. He's able to get a nice place for himself. But then a recession hit, and he quickly lost his job, lost his apartment, lost his car, had no food, had no money, had no place to go, and he thought, it's time to go home. But, you know what his mother said? No, hold up Tony, you're jumping ahead. <laughs> you, know what, you know what his mother said? She said, if you don't abide by the rules, you need to go. The only way, and he knew this, the only way that, that he could go home is if she were to forgive him. So he writes a note to her. This is way back in the day before cell phones and text messages. He wrote a letter by hand. Have you ever seen one of these? There's, it's like stamps, envelopes, things of that nature. And uh, sent it by the hand of a courier. A word that I've never used in my life. And uh, and he wrote in the letter, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to come home on the train. If you don't forgive me, I won't come home. But if you're willing to forgive me, I'm going to be there. And he says, hang a white rag in the oak tree. And that would let me know that you have forgiven me. So he's on the train heading home, and he's riding in a car with a couple other guys who jumped the train with him. And they're coming near his town, and then they finally enter the town, and they round uh, near the place where he lives, and he can see the old oak tree in his backyard. But he can't look himself. And he says to his buddies on the train, he says, you look for me. And let me know if you see a white rag in the oak tree. And as they round the corner, they say, one of them says, I don't see a white rag in the oak tree, but I see white sheets tied all over the backyard. That was a loud statement his mother was making for him. Forgiveness is powerful. If you've ever been a recipient of forgiveness, you know what I'm talking about, right? Forgiveness is powerful. When you have a broken relationship with another individual and they are willing to forgive you and things are made right, forgiveness is powerful. When we come to God and we think of this relationship with God, so often we default to, but I messed up but I have the same struggle over and over. But I do the same thing. I have the same thought. I have the same problems over and over and over again. Can God really love me? Guilt-laden rebel. What do you think the foundation of God's love is? Do you think it's your obedience? Weak Christian, when you think about your life and you ask yourself, How am I doing? How is my relationship with God? Do you immediately jump to whether or not you're obeying Him? Meaning, is the foundation for our relationship with god is it our obedience to god and how well we're doing or is it this covenant of love that god made with us look at verse 34 again he says for i will forgive them their iniquity they're going to be forgiven period He doesn't say, if they continue to obey, I'll continue to forgive. Like He just simply says, the foundation of being in this relationship is my forgiveness of them. And then he goes on and he says, and I will remember their sin no more. That word remember is a word of judgment elsewhere. When God remembers something, that's generally not good in the Old Testament. It means He's going to visit them. And when God visits in the Old Testament, He's not typically bringing cookies and milk. The word remember is a word of judgment. He's saying, I will not remember, I will not keep the judgment that they deserve over them. But I'm going to do something else with that wrath. I'm going to do something else with that judgment. I'm going to show them mercy so that they might be forgiven, so that they might come into this amazing new covenant relationship with God. Family, your ongoing struggle with sin doesn't define your relationship with God. God's love for you defines your relationship with God. The covenant that God has made with you defines your relationship with God. Like a father who says, I will do anything to save my child. God has done everything possible for us. But here's the crazy piece. We weren't His children. We weren't like this cute little nine-year-old with cancer. And he says, I, I, "I just love her so much, I want to save. No, we were his rebel, or we were rebels. We were his enemies. Yeah. We were nasty. We weren't even orphans. We had a father, and his name is Satan. We were in the wrong family. Oh, the love of God that he would come to rebels and say, I'm going to do everything possible to save." Joel, a rebel. He comes to us in our sin. He adopts us and makes us His children. That is love. That is tremendous love that we don't deserve. That is the grace of this new covenant relationship that we have with God. For this reason, Jesus took the cup. And he said in Luke chapter 22, verse 20, he said, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Matthew adds, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Life is in the blood. Covenants are made with blood. And for this reason, Jesus took the cup. And the cup was symbolic of what was really happening. He took the cup of God's wrath for us. He took the judgment that we deserved. And through His blood, we are forgiven of our sins. And this is why we drink symbolically. It's because we have to drink In all reality, we've got to drink of Jesus' blood. We need Christ. We need the forgiveness of sins in order to be part of this kind of relationship with God. We are exiles who have been set free by the blood of Christ in this new covenant. We are people who deserve the punishment of God who have been brought into the covenant family through the blood of Jesus Christ. Christ. The new covenant means that God will not love you less if you disobey. And it also means that His love is extremely costly. Like if this is a one-way sort of stipulation, if God is saying that You turn to Christ, you receive Christ, and I'll do everything else. That means His love for us is extremely costly. Let me use an analogy to help you understand the cost of His love. Let's say that you live in California. And I live here in Baltimore. And we're going to meet up. And we decide, let's meet up halfway. I don't know what halfway is. Kansas maybe? We're going to meet up halfway in Kansas. And then I let you know, hey, uh, I know we were going to meet up in two or three days, but um, my car broke down and I'm not going to be able to come. And you say, don't worry about it. I will come to you all the way to Baltimore from California. Well, what just happened? The fact that I'm broke The fact that I'm I have failed, the fact that my car is broke down, doesn't mean that we no longer will have the ability to meet up at all. But rather, it's going to be much more costly for you to come to me. The, The love of God is costly for sinners. We don't meet halfway with God, He's not our assistant. He doesn't reach out halfway and then we reach the rest. He comes all the way down to the bottom for us. He does all of the work for us. That is costly. That is, this isn't then a license to sin. Our sin just causes us to weep as we recognize how costly His love is for us. You're on the train of doubt and you're rounding the corner and you wonder whether or not God will continue to love you, will continue to forgive you, and you see not just simply a white rag on the oak tree, but you see the cross. And you see that God has done everything possible to save you through the blood of Jesus Christ, through the making of a new covenant. Don't stay back. Don't stay on that train, but get off and run to Christ with all that you have. Come and see the the wonder of His love. Come, behold the wondrous mystery. Christ the Lord upon the tree. In the stead of ruined sinner hangs the Lamb in victory. See the price of our redemption. See the Father's plan unfold, bringing many sons to glory, grace unmeasured, love untold. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this wonderful chapter of hope that we have in Jesus Christ. The new covenant that You've made with us. Doing the work for us on our behalf so that we might be forgiven of our sins and live in this wonderful relationship with You. God, we thank You for Jesus. We thank You for the Holy Spirit regenerating us and giving us a new heart. We thank You for adopting us as Your children. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.